So I wanted to quit my job while I was in seminary. If you don't know what a seminary is, a seminary is basically Hogwarts for pastors. And while I was at seminary, I had a great scholarship, but I also needed to help with the bills. And so I took on a job. It was a part-time job. It was at a coffee shop. But as I began to work it, it became less and less part-time and more and more full-time. And I wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit. I wanted to throw in the towel. But my manager, who was also a seminary student, he came to me and he essentially said, Joe, if you quit, just know you won't be able as well to connect what you're learning in your classroom with real life. He says, it's good that you have two classrooms. It is good to connect Sunday with Monday. And really since then, I've had a passion to connect Sunday to Monday. And it's been really fun because we are in Columbus, Ohio, and a lot of us have professional jobs. A lot of us even don't have professional jobs to bring in money. And you know that one of my favorite things to do is to try to connect Sunday to Monday. But it's also one of the hardest things that I do. Because if we're honest, many of us have a very complicated relationship to our everyday work. A lot of us, and I mean a lot of us, don't like, are dissatisfied with our everyday work. I saw that 70% of Americans are unhappy at work. That's 70%. 80% of 20-somethings want to change their career. You don't need a paying job to struggle with your everyday work. Because for many of you, your daily work doesn't get a salary. And let's be honest, it's the unpaid work that sometimes is way more grueling than the paid work. Others of us love our jobs, but we're not sure God does. Or we don't even know. We're afraid to to bring the topic up with him in our prayer life. We wouldn't even know where to begin to prayerfully consider our job, our work. We might say, I know God loves my worship on Sunday, but does he love my work on Monday? Well, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, I think we could all probably say that we would relate to what Thomas Nelson calls the Monday-Sunday divide. How many of you went to the Men's Adventure Weekend at the New River Gorge last fall? Well, we went to the New River Gorge. It's in West Virginia. Uh, and the gorge, if you don't know what a gorge is, a gorge is a narrow valley with steep rocky walls on either side carved by a river running through it. And so we stood on the northern edge, the very edge of the northern cliff overlooking the river and overlooking the southern cliffs. And if you look to your left from where we were, it was endless, impassable. But all you had to do was turn your eyes a little bit to the right. And you saw this massive 3,000 foot steel bridge. It was built in 1977. And so for all of history before that bridge, very few people even bothered to cross that divide. And now today, I guess, I just saw on Wikipedia, 16,000 cars pass that thing every day. 
Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to help bridge Sunday to Monday. And that's what Proverbs really is for. Derek Kidner, the great Old Testament scholar, he says that Proverbs puts godliness in working clothes. Proverbs is a giant steel bridge connecting Sunday to Monday. And how does it do this? How does Proverbs do this? Well, it says a lot about work. A lot about work. But I think what we could, one way that we could understand what it says about work is understanding it in this way. It presenting for us two false views of work and one true view. Good view of work. His view of work. And so let's explore the two false views, the two dangerous views. Again, if Proverbs is a bridge, the bridge is safe and the edges are dangerous. What are those edges? The first is this. We'll call it the denigration of work. And the second is this. We'll call it the deification of work. One has too low a view of work. The other has way too high a view of work. And we can explore each by themselves before we get to God's vision for work. So first, the denigration of work. As I said, this is the first error when we have too low a view of work. We, we, see, uh, we see the denigration of work at play in the book of Proverbs with three characters. And the first is the sluggard. The second, we'll call him the stealer because I love to alliterate. I could call him a thief, but S is better. The stealer. So we have the sluggard, the stealer, and then finally the sleeper. All three of these figures have a low view of work. The sluggard. What is a sluggard? Well, Kidner again. He says the sluggard is, in Proverbs, a figure of tragic comedy with animal laziness. And so Proverbs 26 says that the sluggard is more than anchored to his bed. He's actually, he's actually attached to the bed like a hinge, like a door to a hinge. The sluggard is like this on bed. Amen? You all know what this feels like. This is how these figures work in our lives, actually. They're mirrors. They're meant to mirror. We may not be as much of a caricature of the sluggard, but it is a mirror, and we ought to see ourselves in these people. So an animal laziness, a preposterous uh, list of excuses. So, for instance, in that same chapter, Proverbs 26, he doesn't work because he says there might be a lion outside. It just might be a lion outside. So I better not get out there. In a general helplessness, he says. Now, what makes him helpless? Well, Kinder says it's because of three things. He will not begin things. So look at Proverbs 13.4 with me. Proverbs 13, verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The sluggard will not begin things. The sluggard will not finish things. So look at verse 27 of chapter 12. 1227 says, whoever is slothful will not roast his game. So he caught the game. He hunted the game, but he doesn't finish it off. He doesn't roast it. And then he will not face things. So as we heard from Proverbs 22, verse 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. So he doesn't, he doesn't face his daily work. It's when we come up with a list of possibilities and make them probabilities, but more like it, we make them excuses to not face 
the tasks that are ahead of us. That's the sluggard in Proverbs. There's another figure, and that's the thief or the stealer. If you look at chapter 1, verse 19, you see this picture emerge. Chapter 1, verse 19 says, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. And Proverbs talks about unjust gain time and time again and how much, how much of a, of a, of a uh, detestation God has for that. Unjust gain. When we steal, it is a denigration of work. And then finally, the sleeper. The sleeper. There's many verses that talk about how love of sleep, an over love of sleep. Sleep is a good thing. God gives sleep to his beloved. Amen. That is sleep is a good, good thing. And when you only know that when you struggle with sleep. But there is a there is a sort of unhealthy kind of over desire for sleep. And we see it in 2013. Chapter 20, verse 13 says, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Open your eyes, like wake up. As I said, these are three figures that we encounter in Proverbs. And they're meant to dissuade us from a low or a denigrating view of work. And if you're like me, I see myself in all three of those figures. All three. All three. And I think for me, and I'll, I'll share my own ruminations, and I'll, and I'll just ask you to see if you can relate. I think it's for two reasons. And the first is just experience. Work is hard. Work is really hard. And if the stats are right, 70% of you don't like your work. And 80% if you're younger, just want out of your job. Work is hard. The Bible explains it this way. Genesis 1 says God is a worker. Genesis 2 says you are all workers made in his image. Genesis 3 says our first parents sinned. And because of that, work fights back. Work now has teeth in it. Work now has thorns on it. It used to cooperate with us. Now, it fights. It's a battle. So I think we denigrate work just simply by our experience with it. But I think there's another reason. It goes a little bit deeper. I think the second reason I might denigrate work is for spiritual reasons. Sometimes, like in the words of C.S. Lewis, I am more spiritual than God is. We think God is only interested in our prayer life. We think God is only interested in our spirituality, on our contemplation. He doesn't care about what we make with our hands, about what we do with our bodies. This is unbiblical. It has more to do with Plato than Jesus, who after all is God in flesh. Right? God in flesh. Who came to not just pay for our sins, but to raise from the dead so that we would have resurrection, not just in spirit, but in body. And to renew all things, the world included. Not to scrap the world and so that we could have spirits flying around, but to, to save the world, to renew the world. And sometimes we're just more spiritual than that vision. And so we have a low view of work. Paul Marshall, I love this. He talks about the difference between a lifeboat and Noah's Ark. He calls it lifeboat theology versus ark theology. And so if you think about it, a lifeboat is a rescue boat. The ark was a restoration boat. So a lifeboat theology says the earth has hit an iceberg and we're all going down. We better just save souls. Get them on the lifeboat. But an ark theology says God loves the world that he made. It is broken by sin. But he is redeeming it. He is restoring it. 
And so everything that we do matters. Not just everything we think. Not just everything we feel. Did you hear me? Everything we do matters. If God's salvation encompasses His whole cosmos, if He is, in other words, rescuing a people, and I'm not calling this universalism where everybody is saved, you have to call the name of Jesus to be saved, but what we do see in the Scriptures is God committed to the world that He made and loves. He's not scrapping it. Our work matters. Our work matters. So let's be honest. Is your view of work too low? Do you denigrate something God calls good? Um, Have you guys heard of the Christian Blue Pages? Do you know what that is? The Christian Blue Pages? I guess with the internet, this isn't much of a thing. But when I was in college, I saw the Christian Blue Pages. And I heard a story once uh, that the word on the street is that people who aren't Christians pick up that book to know who not to hire. Not because they want to persecute Christians, but because they want a job well done. And they've, the word on the street is that those who are in those pages just do a less quality job. Now, you might be a Christian and you might be offended. That's a good thing. Christians ought to be doing the best jobs. The most high quality jobs. We ought to be doing jobs with the most integrity. And it is sad, it's appalling really, that the world sees us as having a denigrated view of work. All we care about is the soul. And so maybe we as a church, maybe you individually need to repent, not just of the sins of the heart, but the sins of the hands. Bad work, slow work, lazy work, no work. So that's the first error. It's a denigration of work. The second error is sort of the pendulum swing all the way over to the other side. And I wonder if you can relate to this more. It's when we turn work into God. It's idolatry. So the Bible, Romans 1, talks about how idolatry at essence is when we take a good thing, like God's creation, and we make it ultimate. We take a good thing like family and we make it ultimate. We usurp God. We put that on the throne and we find our significance. We find our safety. We find our joy in that thing. And it can be a very good thing, which is why it's insidious, which is why we often don't see the idolatry at work in our lives. Well, nothing can hold that place of idolatry as more powerfully than work. Because God calls work good. And so we can sort of hide out in work. We can find our significance in work. We can find our joy in work. We deify work. How does work idolatry play out in Proverbs? Well, I saw a few different places. The first is love of money. So it's not so much deifying work, but what work can provide. You see it? Work is a means to something else, which is money. Which, of course, money is a stand-in or a proxy for something else, which is fill-in-the-blank. Is it security? Well, Proverbs 23.4 fires the first warning shot. If you want to turn and look, Proverbs 23.4 says, Do not toil, or another translation says, Do not wear yourself out to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. If you turn a few chapters over 
to chapter 28, verse 22. You'll see this. A stingy, or other translations say a greedy man hastens after wealth. It's interesting. Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 calls greed idolatry. Greed is idolatry. And so love of money. I see also in Proverbs fear of man. I think we distort work when we worship the opinions of others. This is very powerful. Proverbs 29, 25 says the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so some of us clock in every day with a deep fear of others. Think of this. Our boss, our neighbors, our parents' approval, even if they're not alive, can be fueling our work life. We are deeply, deeply afraid of disapproval, are we not? And that can drive our work life. We're afraid of letting people down. We're afraid of somebody saying, that is a terrible job you just did. Being honest with you. We have deep fear. We have a fear of man. And that can turn into an idol. It replaces the fear of the Lord. Which as we learn in Proverbs is a safe place. And more on that in a minute. And so we work hard. We, we, we certainly work hard. And others in your life may applaud you for your diligence and for your hard work. But let me ask you. Paul tells the church in Colossae. Again, this church in Colossae gets a lot of this. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I think a third distortion beyond sort of fear of people and beyond love of money is salvation by works. I don't think any of us sitting in here would say in a bold way, I am earning my salvation by working hard at my job or by working hard at home or by working hard at my not-for-profit. I don't think any of you would say it in that sort of logical syllogism. I don't think any of you would say that. But we all believe it. Oh, we all believe it. We all believe. We think we earn God's smile when we work hard. I mean, maybe you only got your dad's smile when you succeeded in your sport or when you brought home a certain grade on your report card. That's the only time you got his smile. I heard a story recently. I was reading it in a book where a little boy, his dad worked at home. A little boy craved his attention. And so what he would do is write notes and slide them under his office door, hoping that he would pick them up. And that's how we work. Working is for us sliding notes under the door to God Almighty. And saying, do you notice? Do you see me? Are you proud of me? Do you love me? And you lived for the trophy or the report card, and that bleeds into our relationship with God. And that's a misunderstanding of the freedom that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it's all over Proverbs. That is the answer to this. Because the word used in fear of the Lord is Yahweh. And Yahweh is a covenant name. Yahweh is a grace name. Yahweh is a name that God gives His people. He says, no, I'm not just God. I'm Yahweh. I'm your God. I'm a committed God to you. I will always be your God. Remember how we define fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is when you combine awe, because He's God, 
with intimacy. He is our God. And he's intimately close with his people. And I mean, the trajectory of the Bible is God drawing near to his people. The whole Leviticus is, is, is God saying, I'm going to move into your neighborhood. And, be, and, and so that my holiness doesn't burn you down, I'm going to have a sacrificial system. That's how, that's how, that's how much I want to be with you. And that, that sort of that, that sacrificial system, of course, pointed to Jesus. So when Jesus comes and tabernacles or makes his tent in our presence, it's God saying, I want to be in your neighborhood. I want to be even more intimate with you. And then he sends his spirit into our lives. There is a deep intimacy with the holy God. That's the fear of the Lord. And that changes how we work. It has to. Ray Orland, he says this, The book of Proverbs is an outpouring of grace from God. Again and again, the author appraises, appeals to the reader as his dear son. This book breathes with the spirit of adoption. Romans 8. We may therefore study Proverbs not to earn a sonship. Still out of reach, but to bear witness to a sonship already given. I love this story from John Eldridge. He says, my kids were home for Christmas. All three of them. And he says, as is fitting to their stage of life, they are living on limited means. But when they come home, they get to feast. The refrigerator and the pantry are theirs to pillage, and they don't have to ask for permission. When I read this, I wept. I just have to warn you. I wept, and you may not weep, and you may judge me. Why are you weeping for the story? I wept. It, triggered, it, it hit something deep in my soul that is missing with my relationship with God. You ready? Here it goes. He says, when we go out to dinner, there is no question that Dad will take care of the bill. And when the holidays were over, they packed up and left and they took with them my best shoes, my best sunglasses, some of my favorite books, climbing gear and cigars with my absolute pleasure and blessing. You are sons and daughters of the living God. And so you can work like it. You can work like it. The way I think we combat work idolatry or overly high view of work is by calling to mind and to heart our security and our standing with God. After all, this is what the author of Hebrews does. Listen to what Hebrews does. It seems like a non sequitur when you hear it. Here's what he says. He says in 13, chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. And we're like, okay, we heard that. And be content with what you have. Okay, I'll try. There's a million self-help books about that. I'll try, God. And then what, what, is, what, is, what does the author of Hebrews preach? The author of Hebrews preaches this. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He connects security with smashing the idol of money and lack of contentment. Work idolatry is cut at the root and only cut at the root when you rest in your security as a son and a daughter of the living God. You don't work for his his smile anymore. You have it. Do you worship work like me? 
Is this an idol you have to repent of repeatedly? Are you making costly sacrifices to the altar of this false god? Like your children or your integrity? I mean, if you lost your career, would you be completely lost in the world? Or is there a deeper security in your life? There can be. There can be. If you don't have it, there can be. It's Jesus. He will free you to be at that place. Or if you lost your career, if you lost your reputation in your career, you would still be okay. Oh, you would, it would be sad. Let's not, let's not candy coat it. It would be terrible perhaps, but you'd be okay. You'd be okay. In Jesus. Which takes us to God's view of work. So we saw the two abuses, a denigration of work, and we saw sort of a deification of work, a too, a too low view and a too high view. What does God say about work? Well, God dignifies work. That's the best word, dignifies work. We don't denigrate work. We don't deify work. We dignify work because God dignifies work. So before we even get to Proverbs, which we're in, we see that God is a worker by nature. The whole creation is God working. And then when he makes us in his image, he says, go and work the garden. You're in my image after all. So work like me and rest like me as well. So God's a worker. We're a worker. Yes, we, we messed it up with our sin. But, but God, uh, but God is, is, is wanting to redeem for himself a people, a new humanity who works differently. Who reflects work and their approach to work differently. So Proverbs to me is the map of that new humanity. It's a picture of what redeemed humanity could look like. We talk about the image of Christ being renewed in us. Jesus is the true and perfect wise one. And so when we see a vision of work in Proverbs... If we're not condemned by our failure because we're in Jesus, then we're free to lean into this picture of dignity of work. It's a different way of working. What do we see? Well, we can work with a posture of deep integrity. And I'm just going to rifle off some Proverbs. A deep integrity. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. A just weight. So we don't... Uh, we don't um, work with false balances. In that culture, a false balance was just you didn't, you didn't have integrity. You were lying to your customers. Dorothy Sayers, he defined or she defined the Christian's view of work as ready for it. It's really great. Good work. Well done. Good work. Well done. And that's a great uh, sort of matrix through which you can view your own job. Is it good work? Am I doing it well? So we can work with deep integrity as God's children. We can work with surprising generosity. So the same chapter, verse 25, 1125 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and whoever waters will himself be watered. There's a, there's a sense in which as you, as you work, you're able to view more about just the bottom dollar, but you're also able to be generous. You're also able to go above and beyond and to bless. So that 2126 says, the righteous gives and does not hold back. We can be generous at work. We don't hold these airtight balances with our coworkers. 
careful with our job we do. We don't, we don't hold grudges because we went above and beyond. You know, we were given a task and we did a little bit more than the other person. And so we're just secretly just seething in anger and hatred at our boss. We're just like, oh man, if you knew what I do. We're able to give and to give. We're at work or at home when your children require of you just giving and giving and giving and giving. When you spend all that you have emotionally, spiritually, physically, amen, physically, when you give all of who you are to your children and it feels like there's nothing coming back, you can in Christ say, amen, I am more fully human. I look like Jesus. You don't need to hold a grudge with your children anymore. Surprising generosity. Unhurried diligence. So chapter 21, verse 5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. We can be diligent. Sometimes I have to in my own work because as a pastor, there's no measurables. There's like zero measurables. And I sometimes crave the careers that some of you have or the, the work that some of you guys do where you get instant feedback. Or when you come home from work or after a day of, of work at home perhaps, you, you can say, this is what I did and here's what worked and here's what didn't work. In my, in my, in my realm, it's sort of like a, a forever fog. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know if what I'm doing is, is getting any traction. Who knows? I, I pray so. I pray so. Well, what I have to tell myself is I have to tell myself one step at a time, Joe. Diligence. Diligence. I don't need to live for that feedback. I don't need it. I'm in Jesus. What else? Joyful skill. So 22, 29 says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings and he will not stand before obscure men. Believers who have Jesus, who have the spirit of the living God, ought to be joyfully skillful. We, we, we pursue skill. We, we, we try to get the best at whatever we're called to do. And we don't do it to prove ourselves to others. We do it out of joy. God is changing us into people who are free to do that. And it is to His glory that we do it well. And this is the final thing. And this is what I'll spend our last time in. And it's most important, perhaps. We can now work with a new motive. A new motive. So this is worth looking at in Proverbs 16, verse 3. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. We have a new motive now when we work. We can say, For thy sake, to anything you do. What is your daily work, paid or unpaid, home or in office? If you add for thy sake to the end of that task, there is a freedom there. George Herbert, uh, he wrote a poem called The Elixir. The Elixir. The Elixir was like that famous stone. I, I had to look it up. I don't know what Elixir is. But I, I know it's like sort of in fantasy books and stuff. What is an Elixir? Anybody know what an Elixir is? Elixir is that like a stone that, that turned anything gold. That's kind of what it was. Well, he has a poem called The Elixir, and he describes how you can look at a window or look through a window. 
in this poem. And I recommend you read it when you get home. I'm not going to read it to you. But work is that window. This poem is a theology of work. Herbert was a pastor and a poet. And no one knew he was a poet until he died. So when I die, you can raid my closets to see if I'm a poet too. I won't tell you right now. I'm not. Uh, I wish I was. That'd be great. But Herbert died and he left this poem. And it's a theology of work. He says you can look at a window or you can look through a window. The window is the work. Do you see it? The window is the work. And so you can look at it and you get discouraged. But if you look through it, if you look through it, you can see heaven is how he puts it. The gospel changes how you look at your work. I mean, Herbert says that if you add for thy sake to any unsatisfying work ahead of you, for thy sake, then it is the elixir. That phrase can turn it to gold. And the only way we do this is if we rest in the work of our Savior, Jesus. Who not only worked for us when He came, but also continues to work for us, interceding for us, fighting our battles for us, exerting for us. And I think if we rest, or if we have repose, the way Calvin put it, if we have repose or rest in that reality, it will indeed enable us to say, for thy sake. It will enable us to look through the window and to pursue work for his glory. I mean, the best work, I think, flows out of this posture. Religion in general says, work hard to be whole. What I want you to leave with this morning is this. In Jesus, you are whole. In Jesus, you are whole. Now, freed and restored, do good work well done. For His glory.